Hello everyone, my name is Rick, Rick van Bruggen from Neo4j, and here I am again after the holiday period um, recording another Grafistania podcast. And uh, today I have uh, the pleasure of welcoming one of my dear engineering colleagues on this, uh, this, re- this podcast recording, this podcast episode, and that's uh, Johannes Unterstein from Germany. Hi, Johannes. Hey, Rick. Hey, thank you for joining me. Really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely, Johannes. Um, I yeah, I know a little bit more about you now, but uh, probably our listeners don't yet. Why don't you uh, uh, tell us who you are and what do you do, and and also don't forget to tell you, us a little bit about your history and how you got to know Neopj, right? <laughs> yeah, um, my name is Johannes. I'm working in the cloud team, so we're currently building a product for a managed Neopj version. So you can go to neo4j.com slash cloud and check it out. And basically what we're trying to do is bringing the Neo4j Corsure clusters in the cloud. And this means that the customer can go to website register and decide uh, where he wants to run the Neo4j clusters, like in which cloud provider in which region. And we are making sure that your cluster is always up and running and happy to to host your graph. And yeah, so that's what, what I'm working on currently. And before I joined Neo4j, I worked at Mesosphere. This is uh, the company who's mainly contributing to Apache Mesos. It's also a, a platform for container operations together with big data and file data operations. And it's also shipping the product called VCS, which is like the bundle of all these um, technologies. That sounds like a, a great fit, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're in the cloud offering people have a need for some kind of containerization and you work in the FJ. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, sounds like a great combination, isn't it? Yeah. So... I, I know Neo4j for quite some time, so I met Michael Hunger, and I bet like most of the podcasts mentioning Michael Hunger. Michael, <laughs> either in the web, Johannes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so I met Michael Hunger, I think it was 2012. So he was doing a, um, a tour through Germany, visiting some Java user groups, and I'm running a Java user group in, in my hometown, Kassel. And he was in our user group, and we were so amazed by graphs. So we started a small site project doing like a climbing database with graphs. And it was quite funny because Neo4j is great fit because we, we categorized a lot of uh, climbing routes. And then you could find uh, climbing partners in, in the same, same um, area of you and climbing similar routes. Um, so this was quite funny. You mean rock climbing, right, or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, rock climbing, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, so this was uh, super funny, and and it was all, And then I did project business back in the days for big German customers, and I tried to pitch Neo4j a couple of times. Um, I had some success for for internal projects, but like big big German customers were mostly in the in the SQL world back in the days, and don't didn't want it to to change that. Um, but I was always a fan of Neo4j, but my interest for containers was also so big that I decided to go for Mesosphere a couple of years ago. 
And then I gave a talk at Graph Connect in London last year. And I met my, uh, Ben, which is the team lead for Neo4j Cloud. And after my talk, and we had a short conversation. And then I met Ben again, end of last year. And we talked about the challenges he's currently facing with Neo4j Cloud, and it was so amazing. And, he, and then we came to the conclusion that it was, would be a great fit for me to join the Neo4j Cloud team because it, like, it allowed me to work with graphs that, I, that I'm so enjoying and also work with containers. And yeah, so this was quite amazing for me. Super, super. So maybe I can ask a little bit about, you know, why you went to graphs so much. You know, what do you think is so attractive about it? And maybe you can also expand that and say, you know, why, why you like it in a containerized world so much, you know? Uh, yeah, so when I started doing project business, you, uh, I faced some some hosting companies doing like hosting the software we're developing for these big German customers. And they claimed that they were multi-database providers. And what they meant was that you could choose between Oracle 7, 8, and 9. <laughs> And this was quite <laughs> this was quite challenging for us because they had also strict regulations on table naming. So you needed to prefix your actual table with like ten characters for the project and then another ten for whatever, and then you have six characters left for your actual naming scheme. And then everything had to be super normalized and blah blah blah. So this was quite painful because like in, in this area there were a bunch of people and then checking this bird view architecture of the application and they're checking your database schemes because this one of the few things those people understand very well. Uh, and then you were forced to super normalize your database and not allowed to duplicate data and then it's not performant because you actually want to duplicate data at some point because you want to have performance benefits. And this was, this was quite annoying because we, we did really, really big applications for them. And they were sometimes so slow because, because of these restrictions. And we argued that like, this would be so cool if we would have a technology where a relation would be a first-class citizen in the database. I can feel where you're going with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and then... Like then Michael came and he said, "Well, look, this is the amazing work of graphs, and you you have a relations, and you can like forget everything about joins. So you can just traverse your graph." And this was this felt so easy and so mature that this was really amazing. And that's so. And then uh, we did some community work together with Michael. So my good friend uh, Seb, uh, Sebastian, he. Um, He's working on this print data integration for the Play framework, and he maintained this for a couple of years now. Uh, so, so we kept in contact and did some community work. And then I joined, um, I joined Mesosphere, and Michael uh, wrote me a message and um, said, "Well, look, you have these, um, you have this marketplace in these years." So. Similar to, to an app store, maybe for your phone, DCS, like this data center operating system, which is Mrs. Fierce offering, has an app store. It's called 
I think it's called Catalog nowadays. It called it, it was called Universe back in the days, but I think it's now called Catalog. And what you can do, you can browse to your favorite application like a Cassandra or Kafka or Neo4j. And you can browse and say, hey, I want to install a Neo4j cluster into my into my whole data center. And then you can do some basic configurations, like how many nodes you want to start, how about your credentials, and how many CPU and memory you want to assign to your application. And you can double click, and then it will install an EFJ Core cluster to your, to your data center. And then uh, DCOS will make sure to keep it running for uh, until the, you decide otherwise. And we did this uh, package together. And I think we released it beginning of 2017, I think. Yeah, they still, they're still on that component. You can see them there. Yeah. 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 So um, this, this was... This was or is it uh, is, uh, left to the community right now? Or is it uh, what's the status of it? Uh, I think it's slightly outdated currently. I think we, we need to lift it to the latest um, Neo4j version. Um, so currently our focus is um, also a little bit shifted, um, or like not, not shifted, but we're addressing more and more cloud uh, partners currently. So uh, David Allen is currently doing a great job in promoting or developing Neo4j on Google Cloud. So he, he released uh, a big package a couple of weeks ago where Neo4j is now available in the Google Kubernetes marketplace. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is kind of similar, but when you go to, to Google Kubernetes engine, you get a managed solution. So you can say, hey, I have this amount of service and please add more service as we go. Uh, so you get the full managed package, you get the managed uh, infrastructure and on top you get the managed uh, no, Neo4j running in the managed Kubernetes, which is um, really cool. Yeah, it is. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll put some links to uh, some of these things uh, on the, the podcast transcription, right? So, so our listeners can can find their way around a little bit. But um, uh, maybe you can we can talk a little bit about you know where this is going. You know, uh, obviously. There, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on with the cloud product, but you know, where do you see the industry going? Where, where, what, what's your take on that? Let's let's look into your crystal ball. My crystal ball, though, I think managed services becoming more and more mature. So, oh, like uh, I talk to 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 a lot of people, and more and more people moving to the cloud, and. But mostly, currently, they're struggling in putting stateful applications into containers because if you're doing this, you you need to take care or be concerned about more things in comparison when you're putting a microservice in a container. And and a lot of people using Lambda functions and like serverless technologies and all that kind of things, which are super helpful because it speeds up development quite rapidly and also make make operation less complicated if you outsource the actual operation and managed databases fits in this concept perfectly so if you if you're in one cloud provider and say hey i want to have my managed database this should grow as we as we grow 
and then I can connect all my microservices and all my serverless technologies to this managed database. And I don't need to worry about data loss or data corruption or that big and complex operational topics. And I think this is like for, for, for smaller companies or for smaller startups, as well as for mid-sized to big companies, pretty awesome that they don't need to be experts in running container orchestrators. They don't need to be experts in running databases. They can focus on their actual business logic and focus on getting their business running and don't focus on being experts in ops topics. Do you think it's a, it's more of a you know, public cloud uh, thing these days or is it all, you know, large organizations like, you know, some of the bigger German companies doing this themselves and, 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 and organizing private, pl private clouds? You know, how do you see that? <laughs> I think like Germany is a bit special. So the German market is really concerned about data protection and, and where data is hosted. Um, so probably big German companies would start with a private cloud, but I also saw some kind of hybrid mix. So where they have a, their core data center is somewhere on premise, like in, in their own data center, but they burst out workloads. So when they have a big marketing campaign, or if it goes to Christmas, um, Christmas uh, business, they burst out to public clouds and have these kind of hybrid operational thing where they have the core business on their own bare muscle and they add additional services in, in a public cloud provider. But I think in, in the long term, a public cloud, public cloud will be more fault tolerant and more scalable. So I think there, there could be a movement more towards public cloud. I think a lot of people are looking at yeah that that intermediate scenario, right? The uh, virtual private cloud, uh, you know, where they, they they get some assurances from the public cloud uh, uh, infrastructure around privacy, around security, and those types of things, and uh, and that's kind of a, a neat compromise, isn't it? Yeah. So if you can combine it, you yeah, like this is amazing. So if you spend a, a virtual network between your private and your public cloud and then expose, maybe expose only the endpoints from the public cloud provider to the internet to be more flexible and moving to traffic. Uh, like, you're good to go. Like, I, I saw some some big open source users of, of um, Marathon, that's the container orchestrator for, for Mises, and they built their own data centers straight uh, straight beside the Amazon data centers. So they could they could switch and had a low latency between uh, their private bare metal and their cloud uh, and the cloud instances. So this was a kind of cool setup to combine both worlds. Yeah. Hey, I, I think this was a great conversation. I think we should uh, wrap it up now, otherwise uh, we'll, <laughs> we will start boring our listeners. But. Um, We'll put some links on the transcription, as I said earlier, and then I, I think there's going to be so much great movement in this industry. I think we can maybe have you on the podcast again uh, next year or something and talk about the, uh, the state of the industry at that time. No? Yeah, we can talk about cloud all day long if you want to. 
Johannes, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time, and uh, I look forward to seeing you at one of our conferences uh, soon. Yeah, thank you very much. Cheers, man. Thank you. Bye.